Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's love for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So we've been looking at, at how we have this privilege in Christ to share his mind. It says uh, verbatim in 1 Corinthians 2.16 that we have the mind of Christ. That's a wonderful gift, isn't it? And it's, it's uh, never been more important than it is today where our mental health crisis is worse than it's ever been in our country. Anxiety, depression, suicide, and on and on it goes. We have kicked God out of our heads, and it's driving us crazy. We've already said that we are what we think, and I mean it literally. Our attitudes, our emotions, even the way that we relate to God and others, it's, it all takes place and is centered in this seven-pound ball of stuff that we have between our ears. But we can never reach our full potential if we try to live this life without this transformed mind that Jesus wants for us. So we're looking at uh, three ways tonight that we can be transformed, that our minds can be transformed by Christ. Last week we looked at the first three, tonight we look at the second three. So let's pray before we jump in. Lord, uh, we know that there's probably nothing that's been more affected by sin than our minds. Lord, we think up is down and down is up. We think truth is, is uh, a lie and a lie the truth. Lord, we're so easily deceived. But we thank you that you've come to renew all things lost and broken by sin, including our minds. So Lord, help us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We know that's where the abundant life is found and that's where real joy is discovered. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first transformation is don't punish yourself. And the reason we said this in so many words last week, so I'm not going to spend too much time, but, but really all the transformations, the mental transformations or mental habits that we're talking about, they are ways to prevent us from punishing ourselves. Because there's no, more, there's no activity more ridiculously futile than self-punishment. Number one, because we're made by God. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. It says in Psalm 139, verse 13, speaking of God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. To think that we are in any place to punish ourselves is to walk up to the cross of Jesus Christ, spit in his face, and say, this is not enough. Self-punishment, that is to think that somehow uh, because of the way you look or because of the, the level of intellect you perceive yourself having or because past mistakes or even current circumstances, to say that because of those things, Je the, the punishment that Jesus paid was not enough is a sin. So the rest of the transformations we'll look at tonight are really centered on, on this first one. How do we get past this self-punishment? The next one, the fifth one, is be thankful. You know, when we're thankful, we're too busy focusing on what God would have us focus on to be punishing ourselves. We need to value what costs little or nothing, or whatever level of prosperity God gives us, we won't be able to enjoy, whatever that might be. 
Money will not bring more joy. And because of this false belief, we neglect the enjoyment that little things can bring. In America today, we're suffering from what may be called the paradox of contentment. We have every reason to feel happy and contented because we're healthier than any other group of people in history. We live longer. We're wealthier. We have access to endless everything. So what lies behind this paradox of contentment? Even though we're healthier and live longer, in 1900, uh, the average age, average life expectancy was 47 years old. Now it's around 75 years old. And this increased longevity has given us more time, I believe, to experience unhappiness because many people, maybe most, live at some dysfunctional level of anxiety, worry, depression, uh, uh, self-focused, overly sensitive, and the list goes on. If life is basically meaningless or at least difficult beyond what they uh, can stomach, the longer that person lives, the more protracted his or her mis misery. And you see that the older people get, the harder it is for them to grab hold of the ways that they try to stuff down negative emotions and negative thoughts. And life becomes small and difficult, and we major on the minors as we age, and we become less patient, and on it goes. We also don't find therapy and meaning in hard work. That's another thing that's behind this paradox of contentment. Industry reports twice as many illness-related absences from work than that of our uh, forefathers in the 1920s. Why is that? They didn't have antibiotics. We do. It's because we're not missing work because we're sick. We're missing work because we don't want to go to work. We want to hurry up and relax and get our work done as soon as we possibly can. Work is just about making money, and we don't see God's divine prerogative behind work, which is to join him in the creative process, whether it's digging ditches or developing a cure for cancer, making society run and contribute and using our work as a worship unto God. That's what the Bible tells us. We work hard as if we're working for the Lord. So it makes sense that the enemy would try to sabotage our work. We find no enjoyment in it. People didn't do this in the 20s, even though their jobs were more mundane and a lot more physically demanding. A lot more. And we have access to such more meaningful work because of education, because of technology, transportation, and all that stuff. Another thing behind this paradox is desensitization. Even though we have bigger gadgets, we have faster cars, we have access to endless entertainment, we have all this stuff, but we have to keep upping the ante because we're on this addiction cycle to be stimulated. We can't just rest, we can't just chill like those who went before us did when they would go out on their front porch and sit, possibly talk to neighbors and watch the sunset. We have become addicted to excitement. This paradox of contentment doesn't impact the young, though, does it? If you study mental health, you see that, that young people, kids, are basically happy. You see them running around after church? They get enjoyment out of all kinds of things that are just very simple. You know, I saw a little kid the other day just walking through my neighborhood, walking on every little, like, stone fence and knocking over these stones. She didn't know that we were watching her pulling her dog in all kinds of weird ways. I really felt really bad for this. this. I mean, this girl with like bright red hair 
and it's how I've always envisioned my, one of my grandkids looking. That's why I, was, you know, I called Becky. I'm like, look, it's Magos, which Magos is our imaginary grandchild, and we're weird like that. So, I mean, you don't want to know. You really do not want to know. But we had imaginary kids before we had kids, and actually, two of the three at least are very similar to the imaginary kids that we had. One of them was even named Anna. One of our imaginary kids was Anna. So, um, I am crazy, and that's why I'm doing this series on mental health. So, um, I'm hypocritical here. So, how do we lose this innocence, this simplicity? Children are more spontaneous in their social behavior, right? We know this. Uh, Their natural mood is more elevated and joyful. To put it simply, kids know how to enjoy themselves, and they do so very cheaply. You know, we buy them all this nice stuff. I remember Josiah, you buy them all these nice toys. My dad gave him like 20 bucks for Christmas or birthday, and I knew that he was my in-and-out boy. All right, he loved just taking things and putting them in something, then dumping them out and putting them back in, just in-and-out, in-and-out, in-and-out. And so I got him, much to my wife's dismay, a big thing of marbles and a Tupperware container. Maybe cost $10. And uh, he loved it. He'd arrange them in little, like, you know, groups of four, and, you know, it was, we were always stepping on them and slipping. That's why Becky was kind of upset about it. Uh, but, hey, he loved it more than any of the expensive gifts he got that year. They enjoy things like grandparents playing in a puddle, watching a train go by, swimming, you know, the basic things. And we need our fun to become more sophisticated as we get older. And oftentimes it doesn't satisfy. The 400 million inch TV and Hulu and Netflix and all the rest, watching that stuff, we get done and we just feel kind of, that didn't taste quite as good as I thought it would, right? So real basic application here. Practice, and this, is, this will help you and me mentally. All right, these basic practices I'm giving you tonight, they will help you to live longer. Generally speaking, they will. Whether you know Jesus or not, these things will help you. First, practice seeking out simple blessings that are very inexpensive or free. The pleasures of nature, music, poetry, art, books, physical activity, and of course, prayer and scripture and hanging out with other people. Make your pleasures simple. It'll be good for your mind and good for your faith. I know I grew in this when I went through a a minor health crisis and uh, my health took a dig and so I had to start walking more. That was the only exercise that I could do. And I, I learned to literally stop and smell the roses. I learned to appreciate God's creation. I learned to slow down and not be in such a rush and, you know, look at the big oak trees in my neighborhood and think about uh, different verses I could recall on God being compared to different aspects of nature. I think of Matthew six twenty five. Jesus says, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? You see what Jesus is doing here, and he does it a lot in the Gospels. He points towards creation and says, look, you can discover stuff about my kingdom and my character out there. He said, look at something as simple and as vast as as the birds of the air. They don't worry about where they're going to sleep and what they're going to eat because they're provided for by me, and how much more do I care about you? And there are countless such examples in the Gospels. 
We can be filled with great and marvelous thoughts about our creator and his creation when we look out at the waters, the skies, and take, take a moment to enjoy his simple blessings. So write down these simple blessings on note cards or your phone. Maybe somebody smiled at you. Maybe you had a great discussion with someone, a fun time with a friend, a beautiful sunset, an awesome ministry opportunity. Write it down then and there. And this will literally retrain our minds to think like Christ. I'm giving you some very real, practical, biblical ways to keep yourself from going insane in our crazy world. Are you depressed? Are you discouraged? Are you sick of being so self-focused? Do this every day. Write down what brought you the most pleasure that day that you know is from God. Retrain your mind to be thankful. We are a negative culture, aren't we? You don't turn on the news and read or hear positive things, do you? You know, when you go to work, you, people, we talked last week, people talk negatively, but we can be thankful. Uh, so the sixth transformation, again, that keeps us from the self-punishment we talked about first is be hopeful. Be hopeful. Hugh Downs, a famous now retired TV broadcaster, I think he's in his like, late 90s now, but he was on when I was a kid and, you know, like every single show it seemed like, or not show, but every news, events, that kind of stuff. He says this, a happy person is not a person in a certain set of circumstances, but rather a person with a certain set of attitudes. Attitudes impact everything in our life, don't they? They impact the way we perceive uh, our present, our past, our future, how hopeful we are in the future. It even impacts our immune system and the healing process. If you surrender to your illness, the immune system doesn't do a good job of fighting is when you maintain a positive attitude. To observe how the mind influences the body, we, we need to look no further than the effect of shame or embarrassment on us. When we get embarrassed, you know, if my pants were to just drop right now, which hopefully that won't happen, it's always tighten my belt before I get up here because that's a secret phobia I have. And I usually take my wallet out too just to lessen the weight. Um, I've had dreams where I've been pantsed in front of you guys and not happy about that. Uh, where it's very, I've had incredibly realistic, painfully lucid dreams lately where I, like, I, I feel like it happened. So you guys can always say now, you've got an out. Chris, you dreamt that. You never said that. And I'll believe you now, okay? So uh, I kind of forgot where I was here. Um, yes, so when you feel shame, all right, your, your face gets red, you get hot. When you get bad news, what happens? Sometimes you get nauseous, you get dizzy. Our thoughts affect us. And you see this, you, know, you see it in, the, how many of you know a chronic complainer? They just, everything that comes out of their mouth is complaining. How many, how many of you, that, that person is sitting close to you right now? No, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. That's, that's mean. That's not very Christian. Uh, but the chronic complainer tends to get sick a lot. Chronic complainers I know, they, they tend to get sick. It seems like more than the average bear. There have been many studies confirming this mind-health connection However, one study is of special significance because it's a longitudinal study, so it's gone over, a longitudinal study, rather, and it's, been, it's taken place over a period of time, watching people for a number of years. Uh, it followed the same group of Harvard graduates over a long period of time. In 1937, researchers got a group of Harvard students to complete an extensive questionnaire about their emotional and physical health. 
Then they followed each subject over subsequent years. Many of those original Harvard graduates have now reached old age or have died. And the findings are fascinating. Apparently, those with the most negative attitudes at age 25 suffered the most serious illnesses in their 40s, 50s, and 60s when compared to their more positive classmates. The results are clear. It wasn't illness that soured these people and turned them into negative thinkers. Instead, their negativity soured their bodies. The information about their negative attitudes was gathered well before there was any indication of physical illness, I would add, 20 years at least in this case. And furthermore, it was pre-existing positive attitudes that protected those less prone to illness. As a brief but important parenthesis here, I want to make something crystal clear. I'm not saying all illness is caused or cured by our thinking. Do not hear me saying that. That's been an abuse that uh, certain types of Christian churches have preached now for going on six decades called the prosperity gospel, and it's, it's poisonous, and that is not what I'm saying. I know some of you have suffered tremendously physically, and you have great attitudes. I'm simply sharing general truth right now about this mind-body connection. But it's not new information. You don't have to go back very far in history to find a time when the only way we could fight disease was through our immune system. So it was even, important, it was even more important then. We're not talking about some magical health relationship here. It's, it's very clear, this psychological connection to our physical health. Fearful and stressful thoughts will produce stress and defensive response in the body. And one of the penalties of this stress and anxiety is our body perceives it the same as a physical threat. Did you know that? And so your body has to, has to apply resources to this negative psychology because the body's saying, you're being threatened. You need to seek, you need to seek cover. And your, your body can't handle the illness because it's, it's working so hard on what it views as a threat. Whereas healthy, uplifting, encouraging thoughts stimulate our immune system, lower our stress, increase natural mood stabilizers in our brain, and make us healthier. Now, some of you may be asking, is it too late for me to change? And the good news is, no, it's not too late. The brain can heal, even from habitual negative thinking. The bad news is this, don't wait till you get sick, because then studies have shown it's probably too late. It's very hard once the immune system has been compromised to rebuild itself. So we know diet, exercise, rest, all that stuff are important, but also our attitude matters as well. Many are thinking right now, Chris has become like Norman Vincent Peale, and maybe he's writing a new edition of The Power of Positive Thinking. Is that right? Is that the name of his book, The Power of Positive Thinking? Power of Habit. Isn't there a power of positive thinking too? Yeah. No. No, I use that book for toilet paper. All right? I mean, I'm, that book, I mean, there's some good stuff in it. I've read it. But that is not what I'm advocating here. I think that there's some damaging stuff in it as well. Because in that book, it's kind of like you're just trying to put, paint a veneer on a bad situation and just basically lie to yourself. It's wishful thinking. And that's, what, that's not what I'm talking about here. We have more reason to be positive and joyful than anybody else on the planet because of what Jesus has done for us and who he is for us. But what I'm trying to show, at least up to this point in the talk, is that even the world recognizes physical and psychological benefits of a positive attitude. All right? It is built into us 
biologically by God. These things that we're talking about. But we have real reason for hope. And hope is not even in the same ballpark as wishful thinking. It's very different. Here are just a few examples of truly hopeful thinking rooted in reality. And ones that I want to encourage you and challenge you, memorize these. I know you're constantly told this at church. Memorizing these truths and reflecting on these when you fall into negative thinking or a spiritual way of saying that would be lies from the enemy. Claim these truths and it'll heal your mind and mine. The first hope, God loves me more than I can imagine. Write these down. And I'm never beyond the reach of his love for me. Romans 8, 39, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. The sins of today, of yesterday, of tomorrow, that awful thing that nobody knows about you, even that can't separate you from the love of Christ. Another hope, no matter my sin, God forgives me if I repent, confess, and return to him. 1 John 1, 9 says this, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And also we see it in Psalm 103, verse 10. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. He also says that he remembers our sins no more. All right, that stuff that makes you feel like you know what because it's an habitual sin. The pornography that you have fallen in 3,000 times and you think, here we go again. I told myself I would never look at that again. He forgives that. And the best way actually to, to receive healing from things like uh, uh, pornography addiction or whatever addiction is not to focus on the addiction and to try to manage the sin, but to focus on what Jesus says is true of you. Yes, there are other things like monitoring your internet usage, accountability with other people, uh, internet filters, all that kind of stuff with something like a porn addiction, but those are not the answer. These truths are the answer. These, this is our food. This is our food, and it can change our minds. It can transform our minds. Another one here, there's nothing that will cause God to turn away from me. Hebrews 13, 5, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Never. Another hope, whatever I attempt to do, if it's God's will for me, he'll give me the strength and wisdom I need to accomplish the task. Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. We know if it's his will, he's going to empower us to do it. Finding affirmations in scripture to infuse hope into your thoughts. Memorize them and go back to them often. Um, my little gizmo just stopped here. Okay, here we go. Okay, full stop. Listen up here. All right, we're talking about, we're not talking about mere positive thinking. The world, the world pretends to be positive about awful situations, doesn't it? The cancer, the car accident, the miscarriage. Again, we're not painting a glossy veneer 
on a horrible situation here and pretending that it didn't happen or refuse to talk about it since it's negative. I have a neighbor who's, who's, who's like that. He doesn't know the Lord, and he just refuses to talk about anything negative, and it is so fake. I mean, anybody with a shred of authenticity knows that, whether you know Jesus or not. You know, the answer isn't denying painful realities. Life is painful. Positive thinking tries to put a great spin on a bad situation, saying something like, my dad's going to make it, even when three doctors have said he's got less than a month to live. That's not only just silly. It's also damaging, and it shortchanges the family and the individual from healthy grief that could draw them closer to the Lord. Or another example would be, I've lost all my investments, but I know God is going to get it all back for me. If I just say that enough, then you know, I'm guaranteed. No, getting back all of your investments if they've been lost, that's not a blood-bought grace. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make everything we lose or that goes bad for us good again. He died on the cross so that we could live with him forever and live an abundant life with him now. Hopeful thinking is clearly defined by Jesus who said, in this world, you will have trouble. He says you will, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We know who wins. We know who wins. And remembering that, quoting that, singing that, when it feels like all is lost, will transform our thinking. Hopeful thinking says, I lost all my money. I once was rich, but now I'm poor. But I have every spiritual blessing in Christ, and I'm filthy rich because of my relationship with him. Hopeful thinking cries, laments, goes through seasons of sadness. But hope allows us to pursue Christ even when life is hard. Because all of you, I know many of you are young, but you're going to have that day. I've had it several times now. That day where you get the call that she died suddenly. That call that says the job you've had in love is no more. The call where you get that scary diagnosis that feels like a punch in the gut. That call that says, I don't want to be with you anymore. And when that day comes, are you going to give yourself to negative thinking and lies and self-pity? Are you going to give yourself to just wishful, mere positive thinking? Or are you going to give yourself to hopeful thinking? So here are the steps to changing these negative, destructive thoughts. And I'm probably adding years to your life here, okay? I know that they've probably added years to my life. So you can pay me later. I'm serious. I want to make lots of money from this message. <laughs> years from now, you guys, most of you are getting a college education. I just saw someone whisper to their friend, is he serious? I'm not serious. I'm just kidding, okay? For, for the recording. I'm kidding, I'm not expecting payment for this sermon unless you would like to. <laughs> and then you should. No, you shouldn't. Uh, but you can thank me. How about that? We'll settle for thanking me. Uh, so here are the steps. Increase your awareness of your negative thoughts. Now that might seem obvious, but this is really critical. We need to listen up here. All right, most of our negative thoughts lurk as vague, unfocused, cloudy notions below the water level of our awareness. We're not generally even aware that we're thinking negatively, but this lack of awareness doesn't dull their power to pulverize our emotions and sabotage our success in relationships, including our relationship with Christ. In fact, our unaware condition increases our thoughts' negative power.
brief pause for station identification. Um, yeah, here we go. So that means the first plan of action is to look at negative thoughts and identify, name it. What is the lie here that the enemy is trying to sow into my brain? What's the lie? All of a sudden, my mood has changed, and that, that leads to the next. The second technique to use is instant replay technique. We saw a lot of replays when the Buckeyes far exceeded their expected 16-point win over Cincy, right? This is a great game. Lots of instant replays. Same concept here. Replay the thoughts, actions, and self-talk, the lies that immediately preceded your change in mood. This is hard work. You know, a lot of this mind transformation, allowing Christ to transform our minds, it's not just some, it's not just some mystical, spiritual concept. There is stuff that we need to do to transform our minds. Good thing to do would be to ask other people, do you think I'm negative? Do you think I'm moody? Do you think I'm sullen? Do you think, ask people who are close to you. And hopefully if they really like you, love you, they'll tell you. Um, my wife tells me all the time, oh no, we're not going on that downward spiral. You know, and I've got to, I can be a little, little sullen, a little. She calls them uh, at times, and thank you for our doomsday devotional for the day when I'm real <laughs> negative. And so I've gotten better, I think. Do you think I've gotten better? She hesitated. <laughs> okay, well, see, I told, you, I told you that you should ask people close to you. You're going to tell you the truth, and I just did it, right? So I'm, I'm leading by example. Um, so write that down. What is the lie? What's the lie? What immediately preceded that negative emotion or thought? Um, did you call yourself an idiot or ugly or not worth pursuing? Write those things down. The next is challenge the negative thoughts, the lies, with the truth. And I, I gave you a bunch of truths in the hopes that we just talked about and the scriptures that were related to them. Memorize those. If I could give you a pill right now where you would have control over your negative thoughts, every one of you in this room would give whatever amount it took, whatever you had in your bank accounts, whatever you had in material possessions, you'd cash it out and you'd pay for it right now, wouldn't you? That's what this is. That's what you're getting here, but it's a million times better. It's not just covering the symptoms, it's dealing and healing the problem in all of us. Uh, next, take action against the lies and the negative thoughts. So let's say you say to yourself, hey, I could never speak publicly because I'm too dumb, or uh, I would get too anxious, or I don't have anything important to say, go do it. And if you're scared, especially go do it. Do it scared. Do it scared. You know, I hear people say a lot, I hate, um, let's say, um, initiative evangelism, you know, where you're talking to a complete stranger about Jesus. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Do you know I like to do it, but not because, I mean, there are other methods of evangelism that I think all of us would say are more effective. If you know somebody and you share the gospel with them, you can do so in a way that's very specific and, and, and relates better to them. But when I share the gospel publicly on the promise that I'm told not to be ashamed of the gospel, that it's the power of God, and I actually get into a conversation with someone where it goes well, and they don't, you know, rip my right ear off or something, but it actually goes well, and it almost always does. I see that, man, there's power in this message independent of the messenger, 
and independent of what makes sense because it doesn't make sense to me that a stranger would want to have a deep spiritual conversation with a complete stranger. Um, so take action and take action based on truth. Take action based on truth, not how you feel. We said that a couple weeks ago, didn't we? Uh, our culture today tells us that our feelings are what we use to evaluate truth. No. The truth from God's word is what we ride on. Because, hey, the worst thing can happen, it's a win-win either way. You fail. If we fail, then we have an opportunity to trust the Lord and, again, to identify lies if we get stirred up because of that failure. And if we succeed, then, uh, man, we, we've seen God work in our lives in a major way. So it's a win-win either way. Now, let me ask you this. Right now, we're not talking about the absence of negative thoughts, right? So let me ask you this. If you were to plant, you want to plant the most beautiful garden ever. You wouldn't just pull the weeds, right? We're not just talking about the absence of something. After negative thoughts are pulled out, then you've got to add beautiful things to the garden. Shrubs, just where they should go. You know, flowers, all that stuff. So pull the weeds and then let these these flowers, these truths from God's spirit take over in your life. We're not talking about just optimism. We're talking about hope that's tied into reality. Again, optimism void of reality is just denial. That's all it is. And denial is a far cry from real truth and real faith. Faith always acknowledges the truth and then is able to turn for help to the God resources that God provides, even if it's a negative situation. Yes, the lump is cancer. Two doctors have told me so. So I'll turn it over to God and trust that he's going to work in this. I'm not going to. I love it how Pastor John Piper says it. Don't waste your cancer. Or don't waste your, your you name the struggle. Um, empty optimism simply says, I'm not buying it. I'm, I'm not going to tell anybody that I have cancer. I'm not going to think about it. I'm just, that, that's not what we're talking about here trying to wish away an undeniable or undesirable reality is nonsense, not hope. There's overwhelming evidence supporting the benefits of hope, both physically and psychologically. Did you know that optimism actually helps us live longer with terminal illness? One study in Great Britain examined 69 women who'd had mastectomies. They were divided into two groups, those who were optimistic and upbeat about their surgeries and those who were downbeat or felt pessimistic. After five years, 75% of the pessimists were dead. Less than 25% of the optimists had died. Clearly, their frame of mind had an influence over their body's ability to fight cancer. Again, this isn't always true. It's generally true. We don't fully understand why this happens, but doc, a psychologist, Dr. Archibald Hart, that I uh, pointed out several weeks ago, has a strong theory that I think most of us will buy into. Pessimism, he says this, pessimism causes more stress on the body than optimism, just as unhappiness is more stressful than happiness. The body with this, with this mind-thought connection builds a defense against negative thoughts and, again, treats it like a physical threat creates the, the same chemical reaction in our brains, whether it's physical or psychological. So this stress hormone shuts down the immune system like kryptonite to Superman. Hans Seligman, I'm probably mispronouncing that name, a well-known researcher on the topic of hopelessness and its effects on the body, discovered that when he measured the disease-fighting cells of the blood of 300 people, the average age of 71, 
those with an optimistic outlook had significantly stronger immune systems. So the biochemistry of this connection between an optimistic mind and the workings of the body's immune system is remarkable. People with hope show better health. They report fewer physical problems. Their tolerance for pain is higher. Their ability to recover from illness and surgery is faster. There's hardly a physical problem that can't benefit from hope. And we have that in Christ in spades. Same kind of effect psychologically. Those with hope show better coping skills, stronger relationships. They have more fun. And on it goes. This results in less depression and anxiety. And I'll say what we've been saying throughout this series. Take control of your thoughts in Jesus' name before they kill you. Take control of your thoughts or they'll imprison you in isolation away from any source of joy. That's the goal of the enemy. A slow death with negative thinking. Lies that aren't based in truth. When Christ followers are filled with hope, they read the Bible and pray with greater consistency and intensity. When we pray for greater faith, this is what we're praying for, folks. Again, it's not some mystical thing. We're asking for him to change our minds and make them more Christ-like. Again, this results in, as we get in the word more, as we pray more with greater faith, our faith becomes more resilient. Our interest in scripture increases. Our desire to share it with others increases. No matter the bleakness of the situation, the Christ follower exploding with this supernatural hope can face anything. They do so by having true hope because of eternal life in Christ. This is not empty optimism. We're not talking about wishing. We're talking about hope. This hope is the anchor for our souls. It makes me so excited when I hear and sing this hymn based on 1 Corinthians 3.11. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. It was one of the first sermons I ever gave as a high school student was on this verse singing that song at a baccalaureate service in high school in a big Catholic church where I had to walk up these, like this spiral, spiral staircase. It looked like something out of like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. And then I was up there like 7,000 feet above everyone else <laughs> looking down and I thought I was going to wet myself. And, you know, people were in the splash zone, so that wouldn't have been good. But this, this passage asking people, where are they placing their hope? Do you want hope that doesn't exaggerate failure? Right? That, that's what negative thinking from the enemy does, doesn't it? It exaggerates failure. Hope that enables us to change our plans when they don't work instead of just giving up. See, the positive benefits of failure and rejection turns criticism into a tool for sanctification instead of bitterness. That turns small blessings into brain food. That turns tough seasons into reasons for joy. Do you and I long not to take ourselves so darn seriously? Every generation just takes themselves so much more seriously than the previous. I mean, it's exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting to think about yourself all the time. That's why Jesus says, if you want to find your life, then you have to lose it. In other words, I can transform your mind to make you care more about others than even you do yourself. And when that happens, though, there'll be things that, you, that I have to cut out surgically, spiritually speaking, along the way. 
I can make you like me, where you'll lay down your life for people. And that's where real life is found. Do you and I long to know him more? Then we must place our hope on this solid rock because the sand of self will cause us to sink. The stormy gales and high seas that are uncomfortable and challenging will steal our lunch money unless we tie ourselves to the anchor of hope that we see in God's word. Romans 5, 5, and I'll end on this. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. One of the first verses I memorized right here. He pours the love of Christ, the Holy Spirit pours the love of Christ into our hearts so that we can experience it. And tonight I've given you the cup that you can swallow it down with. Now you can let tonight, I'm especially passionate about this talk. All right, because if we apply this, if we apply this, we'll be different people, we'll be a different church. Because the joy of Christ is irresistible and it's ours. Our greatest apologetic is the joy of Christ that brings us together with a supernatural unity. And we come together on a Sunday night and it is a party. Okay? And people come in and, man, they don't know what's going on, but these people, they've taken something that's made them this joyful, right? This can change the way we think. For those of you who did not take notes and you're treating this just like any old deal, and you're struggling with your thinking, and you're struggling with discouragement, anxiety, email me, get the message. I manuscript it, so you have it pretty much word for word. Or wait till it gets online, listen to it. Okay, this, this could save your life. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you have given us uh, a way to win the battle with the enemy and our flesh in the world. You've given us a way to become bulletproof to life's circumstances. Lord, you've given us very, very painfully simple but difficult to apply truths. Lord, um, even the best psychologist can't hold a candle to what you provide for us in your word to heal our minds, can't even, shouldn't even belong in this, the same library, the same ballpark, Lord. It, you are our great counselor. We need you. Please change our thinking in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to, like we do every week, we're going to, you're going to have an opportunity to pray with our prayer team up here. Take advantage of that. Pray that God would help you to apply these truths in Jesus' name. Amen.